Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker and Brian Huang. It's time now for Mind Your Business. Let's talk about technology. It's changed the way people live and work. And we see cities undergoing an unprecedented transformation. You know, countries with the infrastructure and strategy to manage this sort of rapid technological shift are set to become the most competitive. According to JLL's City Momentum Index back in 2018, the leading cities for future-proofing include major global hubs like New York, London, Paris. Where was Singapore on that list? 29th, by the way. But we are looking now at an increasing digital economy. You see technological prowess being the key contributor to any city's success. The jobs and businesses of the future will be created in cities that have this ecosystem to nurture innovative startups and scale-ups. So how can Singapore continue to future-proof itself and move up a little bit higher on that list? We've got Lee Polisano, who is president and founder of PLP Architecture on the line. Lee, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Elliot. How are you? Very Glad good to be sir. with you. And we understand your work at PLP includes Sky Central, which is a home base for the British broadcaster, and Corso Como Place in Milan. I think I've been there. That aims to rejuvenate the aging Unilever Tower. Of course, PLP Architecture is a firm based in London. Tell us a little bit more about the firm. So um, we're a London-based studio with uh, also smaller studios in in Tokyo and one in um, soon to be in Singapore. And our work basically looks at uh, a humanistic approach to design through the focus on people, planet, and the role that technology can play in the built environment of the future. And you guys got the planning permission for 22 Bishop's Gate. That is the tallest tower in the city of London. I believe this happened back in 2016. Tell us a little bit about your work with that. So it's the unique feature of 22 Bishop's Gate is that it's the first tall building in Europe to receive a wellness certificate. And that, that means that the building basically has a focus on the health and well-being of its occupants. So it's looking to address um, the way people work post-pandemic. We started that before the pandemic. It's looking to provide people with a a comfortable environment that allows them choice in the way they work. It deals with uh, health and well-being, nourishment, your body, your mind, um, uh, all kinds of different things that have to do with health and well-being within the building. And as I say, it's the first one to achieve that certification as a tall structure in Europe. Mm, It is a beautiful, shiny building. And I love the way you're describing all these issues about health and well-being. I mean, as an architect, this really does illustrate the evolution of architecture. What are your own observations there? Well, for us, it's driven by uh, one fundamental need, and that is to have um, our work and all of the work that we do in the built environment address climate change. And as we address address climate change, we have to look at not only how to build in a more optimal way and in a more friendly way, but we also have to look at how we make buildings that are more in tuned to the needs of the people that use them. And if we do that, we'll make more resilient buildings, we'll make buildings that are longer lasting, that have multi-purposes throughout their life. And if we promote health and well-being, that's a very, very big contribution to a sustainable future for the planet. 
So when it comes to setting a base here in Singapore, I mean, why have we decided on Singapore? I mean, you've got offices, I believe, in Beijing and Tokyo. What kind of a different proposition do we offer here? Singapore um, obviously offers for us uh, a very good base in terms of working both here and in Southeast Asia. We have for many, many years, strong relationships with Singaporean-based um, investors who are doing very, very innovative projects in other parts of the world. And for us, it felt like a natural extension of, um, of, of our growth. Um, it also allows us to be at the center of what we see to be a sort of revolution in the way um, we, people will design cities in the future. And, and Singapore, I think, offers an opportunity to innovate it has a strong emphasis on the environment. Um, there's a lot to do uh, here and in Southeast Asia, and we feel that with the talent here and the emphasis on innovation um, and, and a young, talented population, it's the right place for us to be. So this is a very uh, architect-type question, right? I want to get your own observation of Singapore's built environment, but also you see this, I mean, when you look at the photos uh, or even if you walk down the street, is this transition between old and new buildings and preserved buildings? What are your thoughts on that? So this is an important question because obviously one of the biggest aspects of designing buildings and the construction industry is that it's an extractive business, right? We extract minerals uh, and resources from the earth. We manufacture them. That's all energy intensive. And then we build a building in a very, very traditional way, which is also very labor intensive and uses a lot of energy. So by the time we've finished, we've used a lot of embodied carbon um, that we've taken from, from the planet. So the retrofit first policy, when it comes to looking at, new, at replacing buildings, makes sense. However, we have to recognize that many, many buildings that have been built in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s were built very, very poorly and built to very low standards. Refurbishing them for the sake of refurbishing them doesn't make sense because they, um, we get back to the health and well-being and the comfort and the appropriateness for use. They may not make great places for people to live and work in the future. So we have to do two things. One, we have to look at the existing building stock carefully. We have to try and reuse it and densify it where we can. And where we can't, we have to recognize that we can do something better for the planet by doing it in a much more low-carbon way, in a much more sustainable way, and in a way that it will have resilience for a long time in the future. And when we demolish a building, we have to take that material and put it back into the circular economy. And then it all starts to make sense for us. Right. So you're talking about going right back to that whole urban planning stage. I mean, how complicated does the state of the world make it now? I mean, especially where you have to consider having more life-centric sort of uh, buildings or life-centric cities. So addressing these kinds of issues is is a big challenge. We shouldn't be fooled by, uh, we're not going to solve the climate change issue or we're not going to solve the issue of embodied carbon overnight. But we have to make our cities um, more healthier more accessible um, for people that live in them. Um, and in doing that, I think we start to take big steps. And this is where, for us, technology also has a role. Technology is not going to solve the solution, but technology is an enabler um, in terms of public transport, in terms of mobility, in terms of how people have choices the way they, they want to live. It, it, make, it helps enable us to make a more life-centric um, and human-centric uh, built environment. 
Mm. You also have PLP Labs that's part of PLP Architecture and it's a design research collaborative operating at the intersection of technology, culture and space. Tell us about the relationship, this working hand in hand. It's kind of similar to, you know, starting off at the urban planning stage, I would imagine. Yes, so the labs was set up to allow us to collaborate with bright minds around the world and to basically have a role in provoking thought around aspects of the built environment. And as I said, it deals with three aspects. It deals with people, Mm. social issues, how to make cities fairer, how to make them more accessible. It deals with the planet. So lots of research on sustainability, on innovative materials, on low-carbon approach, on the circular economy, and it deals with technology. And at the technology end, it looks at everything from smart buildings to smart cities, It has an urban mobility research program going. But foremost, it allows us, as I say, to collaborate with some very, very bright minds. So, for example, we have an ongoing collaboration with the University of of Cambridge. We're collaborating with uh, neuroscientists on um, the importance of neurodiversity in the built environment. Um, They do a lot of work on the impact of the post-pandemic and the way uh, we will live in the future or the way people are choosing to live today. So all of this helps promote debate, helps promote thought for us, and helps to inform our work and has a value, we hope, not just to our clients, but to the wider community. Actually, just as a follow-up to that, and, and perhaps I should have talked about this a lot earlier, Having such a situation, right, having such a collaboration, has the pandemic accelerated the need, you know, for such developments in the future, for such thought-provoking ideas? Or was this something that was just a matter of time? Was this something that was always in the works? Well, I think it's a half-half. Yes, it was always in the works. And um, yes, the pandemic did accelerate it. For example... The pandemic, what the pandemic accelerated is people's desire to basically have choices in the way they, they run their daily lives, right? And how they work and where they work, the more flexible the younger generations, um, I think, have been um, showing examples of this for a very, very long time. One thing the pandemic did, um, and Singapore has a, is very, very accessible to wonderful green spaces, but in many, many cities... Um, the pandemic showed the weaknesses of those cities through the lack of public space. Because in cities like London, for example, the the public space utilization increased by 120% over pre-pandemic times. And it did that because there are so many green spaces that are accessible to people. In, In other cities where that accessibility wasn't available to them, the actual utilization of those spaces decreased. So what we learned is that outdoor space, public space, green space, connections to nature are all very, very important parts of our daily lives. Mm. Um, And that's helping to inform the way we all design buildings and think about the the built environment in the future. Very interesting. I also want to talk about PLP architecture embarking on Tokyo's largest urban renewal project. If I'm pronouncing the project correctly, it's the Uchi Saiwai Cho One Chrome District Development. It's a Tokyo Cross Park project. I have a personal love for Tokyo. How is all this going to work? Tell us more about it. The Uchi Electro project. Yes. So this is um, just uh, on a very, very famous uh, area in, in Tokyo. It's just been released. It's just on the edge of Hibiya Park. So um, one of the most uh, prominent uh, and important sites um, in, in Tokyo. 
part of the site is um, a re, uh, the new Imperial Hotel. So it's a very, very prominent location and a very, very important destination. It's for us and for our colleagues in Tokyo, a once in a hundred year project, mixed use development that looks um, at future generations uh, of needs in, in Tokyo and around the world and how we bring people together in a collaborative way across a very, very large um, piece of, uh, of, of urban real estate. Um, it's adding another sort of six hectares of green space into that area, into an area that's already very green. The difference is that these are all going to be public spaces as opposed to more private green spaces like, like the Imperial Palace. Mm. Um, and of course, it's looking at how we do all this in a very uh, environmentally light method. So how we do it with a low carbon footprint, how we build um, in a low carbon way. Um, and, and how we use technology to help us look into the future. It's a very, very long-term project. Uh, we're the master planner, and we're also um, dealing with the entire placemaking narrative uh, for the project as well, as well as the architect for a number of the buildings. Mm-hmm. I can imagine very high on the list, even though you mentioned it's in a green area, the carbon-reducing initiatives, potential for that to spill over into other projects in Tokyo, perhaps. Yes, so I think there's a there is an element of technology transfer that we're looking at, and how we bring um, technologies from other which are very very uh, doing very well in terms of low energy from other uh, areas into this project, and of course how we develop because it's a long term how we develop technologies which will be applicable to um, to the built environment in the future. So that is a big part of the thinking in the project. Fantastic. Been speaking with Lee Polisano, who is the president and founder of PLP Architecture. Lee, appreciate your time this morning. Take care and have a great day ahead, yeah? Thank you, Elliot. Bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.